Tina here. Nice music. You like it? <laughs> yeah. I love that song. And the fact that it's in Spanish, too, is pretty awesome. Yeah. So, hi, everyone. My name is Dr. Trisha Rampersad, the core behavioral therapist. And my guest today is a treat. Um, her name is Taramati Doucette. Um, she is a senior and health and disability attorney. Um, she works with Greater Boston Legal Services. She is also the project director of the Children's Disability Project and founder. And she's also the lead attorney in a major groundbreaking lawsuit against the MBTA. Um, and she's also my auntie. So, <laughs> welcome, I'm a proud auntie. <laughs> yes. Welcome, Auntie Tara. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having me as a guest on your wonderful show, Dr. Trish. I love saying that. Congratulations on all that you have accomplished. We are so proud as a family. Um, I think it's uh, your field in particular is so needed for our community. We don't talk about mental health a lot in the community, um, but I'm so happy that you chose that field and, um, and I'm so proud of you and for your, what, or what you've accomplished and your successes. So thank you so much on moving forward. Thank you. Um, same for you. I had you to look up to as well. So thank you so much for being such a, a great role model for me. You know, it's not every day we see Indo-Caribbean women uh, making it in America, and you are a top-notch attorney in Boston, so I'm very proud of you too. So yeah, um, I have a couple of questions. You know, what made you want to become an attorney? Oh, that's actually a really good question, especially when you think about what's happening right now. Yeah. Because of what's happening with COVID and how we saw um, all the inequities, uh, you know, against uh, black and brown people, yeah. the, the social injustices, the um, uh, racial inequities, economic inequities, health inequities, right? Right. Inequities. Um, well, believe it or not, I came to the US in 1977. While we were living in uh, Richmond Hill in Queens, New York, I saw so many inequities, just like what's happening now. Um, you know, inequities in, in healthcare, um, I should say disparities, um, education, social yeah. inequities, and economic inequities. And I saw how our community was affected, meaning immigrants, or newly to the US, most of us, a bunch of us from our particular community came to New York City and we settled in Queens. And that, um, that's the thing that propelled me, mm -hmm. studying law. And once a couple of specific things, one is uh, when we couldn't get healthcare, you know, most of us were uninsured. Um, wow. Couldn't okay. afford health insurance. I remember not having health insurance. I was in college and I didn't have health insurance. Wow. And I didn't have dental insurance. And I remember everything you had to pay as you go. So you would hold off when you're sick, you'd wait and not go to the doctor. You know, you'd, you'd, right. you'd, when you really, really have to go, that's when you go and that's when you're paying cash. I also uh, remember uh, housing, how people would, would be uh, scammed, you know, get charged a higher rate for an apartment. And somebody's wife. 
based on their based on ethnicity or or you know just how we present it um so there were certain biases and i was like this is so wrong um, in new york city right this is in like one of the most diverse yeah in queens, in queens but right. you have to remember the community we were from in richmond hill um it's not this racially and ethnically and culturally um it, it wasn't diverse at that time it is now right Actually, primarily people from Trinidad, right? And yep. Trinidad and Guyana. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, I remember the very first store that opened up in our community. The yeah. very first West Indian store that sold our food. And I think your mom remembered that. The too. grocery store, right? <laughs> right. At the I remember that. <laughs> so that what? Again, I forgot. It's like two letters. I forgot the name of it. J and B. I, I yeah, don't know. Like yeah, people across the street owned it, and I remember when there was it was just us, one of our uncle's houses, the people across the street, and that was the extent of the people from Trinidad or Guyana or from the Caribbean living in this community. Everybody around us uh, were of Caucasian, and they all fled. They all fled when we moved in. Slowly, we watched it empty as as Trinidadians, Caribbean people started to populate. I remember it. I remember growing up and the Richmond Hill was predominantly um, Irish, German, Italian. And then all of a sudden, and then we moved out. And then when I go visit, it was predominantly Indo-Caribbean. So I'm like, how did this happen? So you're saying that when many of us moved there, a lot of people moved out. Wow. Uh, yeah, around the time your your mom and dad you yeah. moved to New Jersey, and then we had moved to Boston. Right. Uh, when I visited after, I saw the changes. And it was very surprising, and I was so happy because so many of our family um, still live in the, in that particular area. Right. They have restaurants and and all of that, and we're so supportive of all of that, and more power to them. And and I feel like um, there's a lot of great things happening in that particular community for they have uh, temples and i was uh, recently when one of our relatives uh, passed away i think you guys were there for that uh, funeral mm -hmm. the cremation all of that stuff that stuff didn't used to happen in the way it is happening now where there's actual respect for somebody's faith and um you can actually get the things that you were able to do in the caribbean Right. You get some of that replicated here, um, you know, and I thought that was really great. So those are great things. Yeah, it's it's definitely, it definitely, Indo-Caribbeans definitely put a stamp in Richmond Hill after we moved out so that it's nice to see the diversity and to see, I'm not sure if you're aware, there's so many different organizations and um, social media groups that are advocating for women, especially um, in the Indo-Caribbean community and people in general in the community who are experiencing injustices. So it's really heartwarming to see all these changes and young people coming up and really speaking out. And you, you were one of the people who set the path. I mean, here you are, you know. I can only imagine what kind of self-care did you do for yourself as you were on your journey, your educational journey? When you don't have a lot of money. <laughs> right. <laughs> you have to make do right so um, ride my bike you know i remember i would go with my girlfriend phyllis and we'd go up to the 
someplace out where she lived past uh, Jamaica Avenue someplace and we used, we used to bike. There was a park and we'd all bike there. So that was one thing I would do for my well, especially while I, while I was in um, high school. It, you, as a Caribbean woman, mm-hmm. soca, reggae, calypso, um, all of that cultural, that is infused in me. And I can't separate myself from that part. That part of me is here, you know. I watch, I watch Kamala Harris um, talk about that. Oh my goodness, talk about, I mean, representation. And, yeah, right? I and, mean, and that's so it. Proud of it. Yeah, so proud of her and everything, yeah. It was very hard in, in, in college, for example, trying to figure out, do I belong with the Indian group? The folks from India, the South Asian group? Right. And you, you never felt accepted. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But I was very much accepted in the Caribbean group because we're all speaking the same. I, should, I don't want to use the same language. We all spoke English, but you know that broken English and yeah. a certain word and people know exactly what you mean or you'd say oil down or you say something and people right. know what you mean. That's, that was kind of um, nice for me. Yeah. So um, ever from since high school onwards, actually since I was in the Caribbean, that's so interesting and it's so true what you said um about ethnic identity even though we have our indian music and stuff from the you know um it's our culture is primarily caribbean like right now i think it's carnival time and we're not so i know (laughs) carnival and we're not celebrating because of covid right and i'm thinking about carnival keep thinking about juve and carnival monday and carnival tuesday you know what i i found uh college to be a very tough place for me for and I look at when I look at my children's college experience, and I'm looking at mine. How different! My college experience had to happen nine to five. Um, your dad, yeah, whom we stayed, we lived with in right. the in the U.S., was very very strict. So we had to be, you know, morning and in the evenings. You you, you know, mornings you go off to school, evenings you gotta be home. Right, gotta be home. And um, so that was hard. Because um, even in high school, I never participated in all the um, extracurricular activities that people got to be participate in. Right. Um, I only studied. It was, it, it was it, a lot so, of studying you did. I remember going down to the basement where they lived. <laughs> we were, where we lived in the basement apartment. Yes. Oh, my gosh. And they that were was our lives. Yes. And all we did was study because you studied from sunup to sundown. And there was there were no activities, and I know that's part of like the Indo part of us because that part they ingrain in me. It's a Caribbean part too. Couldn't be a part of the the school productions that were called sing, or um, you couldn't be in part of any sporting right groups or or cheerleading or any of that. School is to learn, and then you come home and you help. And then on on the in the summer break when you get a, a break from school, all of my friends would be out having a great time. No, we were shipped back home to the Caribbean where we had to work on the farm. So, cause that's part of our life um, here. And we were legal permanent residents and later on we became citizens. So that was hard, even in high school. And now when I think of my children's high school experience, right. anything, everything, music, anything they want to, want to do, they get to do. Right. You know, my little Patrick is a really superstar athlete in 
Um, I can't in track. In track. <laughs> he got all those awards. He's <laughs> awards like five and math and science. He had all those awards and stuff. Everything I'll show like, up. Where did this kid come from? Yeah. <laughs> and I'll tell you, I'll tell you a couple of, of sad things too in, in, in this. It's people's experience. Like when I graduated from college, mm-hmm. it's only your dad and myself who went to the graduation. And I like, there was no big celebration. There was nothing. Um, and he took me and he wore a suit and everything. And poor thing, he was trying because my parents weren't here and my sisters were not here. So, you know, everybody was gone. They were like either married or, or, or different. So it's just me. He took yeah. graduation. That was sad. You know what I mean? And now I think about my kids' graduation. You saw even COVID. We had that big COVID graduation. You guys had a big celebration. They did it over Zoom. It was a great graduation celebration. Our family, uh, like we do celebrate things big, but with COVID, things have definitely been different. Right. Um, it's really sad I'm I'm sorry you went through that oh yeah and I'm sure I'm but and here's how I how you know Trisha Dr. (laughs) this is how you know you got totally um, I'm going to use the word screwed over (laughs) you You can go ahead (laughs) you know know, because I'm married to my husband Bob you know your uncle Bob and um he I met him in law school and when I heard about his childhood I'm like what are you kidding me, dude? You actually, he was like a, his class actor, his sister was class actress, his brother was class actor, he had his own rock and roll music band, his parents allowed him to do all of these things, the freedoms right. that I didn't get. Right. But I was like, wow, such freedoms, you know? And I always used to look at, when, you, when your grandmother uh, decided for, for our family to come to America, she decided that we needed to come here for education. That's what she wanted. She expected us to come get our education and go back to the Caribbean and find jobs. I mean, that was the plan. It didn't work out that way. It didn't way. work out. No. no you met someone who got married. <laughs> but the family struggled with that. We oh, my gosh, really? I didn't know that well. That, that, that's for another story. Yeah, but, okay. Um, but that was... I love Uncle Bobby. Shout out to Uncle Bobby. Love yeah, proud to him. He he rocks it. Um, but your grandmother sent us all here for education, and what she because she always felt, and she used to say the fact that education is a great equalizer. You can take, you know, the world can take everything from you, but they can't take your education. She high, highly, highly, highly pressed education on us. Yeah. So I, that was my. I always knew I'd do legal services work. I yeah. knew I'd go into law. I mean, I was like just tunnel vision and focused into the area that I wanted. Um, but I always knew that even though like my parents weren't around, I always knew like, oh my God, to do the right thing. Because if I, I don't do the right thing, I feel like my parents would be like scolding me in the background or something. So their presence, I felt it. So that's why I worked as hard as I did as well. You know, and I highly respect yeah. my you know, That always stood with me. Like that, you know? No one can take away your education. And that's where it came from. Because that always stuck out in my head to keep going and and it's refreshing hearing that from you because it went from generation to generation in our family so that's really um really really awesome now um so you you rode your bike i think exercise is really important with mental health i worked in a bank um i was a mortgage clerk and because i had to save money to go to school remember i'm doing this on a shoestring budget people right you're working and going to and going to law school right trying to get 
trying to save up money to go to law school and I worked two jobs. I worked at the, the bank in the daytime and this is when I was living in Acton. And Acton then, is a town in Massachusetts, yep. Yes, and then what I did was I used to work supermarkets at night. I used to work behind the deli. I used to cut meats. Like, oh my gosh. <laughs> We're laughing because my dad and a bunch of our family owned delis in New York City and in Manhattan. Yep. Yep, I worked in your dad's deli as well, just so you, too, yeah. so you never forget. So what happened is that, so I, I used to cut meat behind the deli and work from like 6.30 or so until about um, 11 o'clock. That's when the shift ended. Wow. And then I start that whole routine again. But I saved my money for school. And that was important because I had a mission. I knew I was going to go to law school. I got accepted to law school. And um I went to Northeastern University School of Law. It, was, it is a terrific school. Yeah. I applied to two law schools because I didn't have enough money. To, uh, oh, my goodness. <laughs> so I just had, I applied to, um, oh. to um, New England School of Law in Northeastern. I got accepted to both of them. And it's so funny. I'll tell you some funny stories. Because okay. we didn't have in those days. I, I just want to pause for a second and ask. I am being my true self and I'm not presenting to you as I would if I was doing a conference about law. This is what this is about. Okay, is this about being myself? Because I'm being my true self. Totally about being yourself. If anyone has a problem, they can shut this off. But this is totally about being yourself. I think it's, okay. it shows your tenacity. It shows how much sacrifice you put in as a Caribbean woman to be a lawyer and to be where you're at today. And you know what? There's so many little girls and women of color out there who want to do these, these things. And I think this is so inspirational. And I hope that that some that this will light a fire for some people who will want to um hey if she can do it if tara do second yes. i can do yes. it yes. you know and actually i actually i must tell you though trish it's after i got accepted to law school and i started all the other relatives behind me the, my young cousins all right. applied. they all applied and they i shouldn't say they all but several of them applied and several of them got accepted and several of them proceeded to get their law degree and take the bar and and they became lawyers. Awesome. I, I don't know if they practice. Uh, I, I'm not sure. But well, I'm an influencer, right? So I think I think I, I, think I may have you, you are, You're not only an influencer, you are a trailblazer. If you think about it in our community, um, in the Trinidadian uh, community, and a trailblazer in our family. And I'm, and well, I'm, thank you. Oh, that's a high, <laughs> a high compliment. So I'll accept it. Dr. Trish, here we go. So you, what were some of your most memorable times in law school? Okay. Like fun times. Because, you know, I really believe in laughter and having fun as really good mental health modalities. Mm -hmm. And um, you, you worked and studied so hard for your bachelor's, right? And then you, you go to the Trinidad over the summers. But now here you are, you moved from New York to Boston to continue law school. And you did work as well. But um, did you have fun? Did you have any fun at all? I obviously had fun. I married your uncle Bob. <laughs> who, is, who was in a band and you met him at law school. So I know you had fun, Auntie. <laughs> Here's a fun scoop, okay? Let's talk about first how I got into law school. When I did my essay, my essay, nowadays, um, I just want for young people, if you're listening, yeah. 
spend so much time um, polishing up their essay, um, having engaging in so many activities to show that you have all the right boxes checked off to get into school. It, it, things are so much different, but I think what people miss is you're being your true self and writing a story about you. And I remember my essay to law school was about me. I remember I scored poorly in the standardized LSATs to get into law school, but that did not deter me. My story was real and true, and it's about right. the school and about what I, and I had great grades in college. I was always a great student. I was horrible at these standardized testing. Same. No, same. I think these standardized tests, I think they're biased. Um, they're not geared towards, in my opinion, uh, they're not geared towards people of color. Studies um, about that, Tricia. Right. Many studies about it. So I totally agree with you. I, Let's talk about the LSAT for one quick second since okay. you the topic. topic. For example, this is how a bias exists, okay? okay? Now, in New York City, going to school, but every summer, going home to the Caribbean, working on the farm, never really experiencing um, what kids, young people my age would be experiencing, going to concerts, going to parties, uh-uh, it's school, you're like a, a robot, but you're still, you're still protected, you're still in this cocoon of your family. And then you take an LSAT and you get a question about um, a particular piece of art or, or somebody's, right. what? <laughs> what, are you talking about? what are you talking about? Uh, yeah. See, the one window I had in loss in, um, in um, high school, which was really fantastic, I was in the honors program, the humanities program um, in high school. And it's because of that program, I got to actually go to MoMA, the Museum of Modern Art. I was, it was really great. I was um, there all the time. I got to see opera and, you know, um, classical music. And I was exposed to a lot of things that I wouldn't be exposed to, you know. Nor under normal circumstances. I remember seeing La Casa de Bernada Alba by Juan Garcia Lorca. I was like blown away by that, you know. Yeah. Um, what they did in law school was retrain your mind. But the way I used to write was like out the window. And it was just different and hard. I found it very, very hard. Because I went to CUNY, City University of New York. Um, uh, Queens College, City University of New York, right? Um, to be in the 80s. Yeah, you're graduating from high school. You're at the top of your game. You're purely academic. You're an honor student. You are part of the honor group. You got inducted into the National Honor Society. All of that stuff, right? Um, and, we, and just so you know, you're getting inducted in the National Honor Society in high school, and your name is on the cake and stuff, and you've never seen that before. Um, you know, in a school setting, but everyone has a parent or a relative celebrating them at this event. You're alone. You're, you don't have anyone there because your parents are in the Caribbean working to send you money to live. Right. So that's hard. And then, um, then it's time for college. And the guidance counselor at the school tells you what school you're going to. Okay. Our generation, we just followed whatever they told us. Right. And they told you that you wouldn't get into those schools? Or... He told me, no, he didn't even say you wouldn't get in. Wow. He said, you should go to Queens College. This is where you need to go. And my sister and I filled out the papers and I went to that school. I love the school. I got a good education right. uh, from there. But what would have happened, the point is I didn't get a choice. It, it was it, someone else decided for me. It's so interesting how it's parallel. I went through the same thing with the guidance counselor, with the school counselor. 
she told me I was never going to get into Boston University. Guess what? I got into Boston University, but because my dad was strict, he didn't want me to leave the state. So <laughs> we went to Fairleigh. I'm happy for my education at Fairleigh Dickinson. Daddy, daddy took um, me to the campus. We toured it, and he looked at me and said, you're going here. That was it. <laughs> and He's I got into Boston University, but that was, that was the thing. I think my gen- I, I wanted to prove that, that school counselor wrong. Yes, she, she was. She, she was not a person of color, and I wanted to prove her wrong. Like, who are you to tell me what school I can get in and what I can't exactly. get? In? You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I I, I share the same sentiments with you. And it's a, it's a horrible feeling, isn't it? Even it's a horrible you, feeling because you know, you you're so support. successful. You're still saying, "How dare that person tell me where I should go?" Right, right. So, so, in spite of that person, I got to where I am now. So, anyhow. Exactly. I made my decisions for law school. It gives you ammunition to like, hey, I can keep going and I can prove this person wrong. Yeah, I get it. I get it. So for law school, I decided where I wanted to go. Right. Knew I was going to go into public interest law. And I remember I I met some people um, through your uncle and who he knew they were going to that school. And and, and I was able to talk to friends of friends and find out some more about that school. Remember, we're not talking computer days, but I can Google everything. Right. I I typed my essay to law school and the only typewriter I had was an electric typewriter with one letter. And your Uncle Bob laughs at that. (laughs) Would give me a little electric shock on it. And my face (laughs) was broken. (laughs) Hey, you said you want to be real. Right, shock you that one letter when you were trying one to- letter, so I had to use up. Oh my goodness! And I had to use a pencil, and I used that same typewriter in law school a little bit until I had it. Right, right. But oh my goodness! But I, I typed it on onion skin paper and erased it. So that I don't even know what onion skin paper is. <laughs> I don't even know what is onion like skin paper. Well, so if you needed to make um. <laughs> Uh, the type of paper where you can type on and you can either, because I didn't want to use the goopy thing that you put on to erase. Yeah. So I to just erase it with a, with a regular pencil eraser. So you could erase on that. You can type it, you can erase. So that's what I I'll answer your question now. I went to law school. <laughs> I had lost like a ton of weight before that because I, I remember working. that. I worked at two jobs, remember? Yeah. <laughs> Like in a size two. First, they had an orientation, and I would go to this orient. I went to this orientation, and I'm hearing them announce the class. In this class, we have 42 paralegals, 25 assistant, whatever. All of these like top notch things. In my eyes, they were top notch. You know, people were who were in the law, or they were clerking, or something was happening. And then they said, "We have, um, and we have someone who's the." Lead guitar, lead guitarist and vocalist of a top two, top 40 bands. And I'm like, wow, we must have a celebrity. <laughs> Go ahead, tell everyone who it was. Drum roll, drum roll. Who was it? It was your Uncle Bob. I didn't know. So, so I thought, Holy moly. He's a superstar. He's a superstar. And you know, your Uncle Bobby back then, he was a like, skinny guy. He, and, you know, he grew up in Lynn, working class family. His mom was a waitress, single mom, did her best to raise him. Great, 
great, great, super family. I love my in-laws. His, so, mom, his mom was great. I remember her. I remember yes, visiting yeah, guys. Yeah, yeah, Ma was wonderful. So anyhow, I didn't know this. And look at this. this. Here I was, impressed, right? Very impressed. I was young. Remember people, I was what, 20, 18, 21? Yeah. Yes, 22, right? 22. Uh, so I'm, I'm impressionable. So that was like, wow. Then we went to, I went to civil procedure and I'm all confused and turned around in law school. All right. Okay. Trying to fit in. And lo and behold, within the first few weeks, your uncle Bob, little did I know it, he was trying to meet me. He was asking, oh who's that woman? Oh my God, who's that woman in the front row? I need, to, and I always sat in the front row. I had to be a nerd, like taking every notes because I didn't know anything. So <laughs> writing everything, I'm going to force myself to learn this law. Dear God, help me. <laughs> I didn't know when I met your uncle Bob that, you know, he was struggling. He could barely pay his bills and struggling to pay his tuition. He, was, he struggled so incredibly hard. His right. sometimes I think was, um, equal on equal footing to mine and sometimes a little bit more when he tells me his you both have that commonality yeah we both, both have that. and i think we both came from working families that um helped us it, it actually helped our relationship too so uh, you know because we were able to like immediately bond so we met um within a few weeks after we met he asked me to marry him and i did say yes wow yeah totally love at first sight we totally uh fell in love and and um Gosh, we were so it, and it was fun. So he made law school a lot of fun. It was pretty tough because he always wanted to study. And now finally, I felt like I have freedom now, you know, because it was the first time I got to live on my own. Yeah. About that for one moment. I am an, a grown woman. All the college experience that people had, all the fun that they went out to parties and stayed out late. I never had that. When the, clock, when the clock struck 10 or 11, I better be in my house. You know, there's right. late evenings, nothing. And, yeah. and he just wanted to study. And now you had this, but you met someone who was your match. And that's just so beautiful. Different places, different cultures, but same, similar values, I should say. Because he's such an amazing lobbyist for things. He school, he got the, the bar review courses. The bar review courses to pay for all our beer uh, organization, to pay for all the pizza. And he brought his entire band, rock and roll band. We had a huge party. So he was savvy to, on how to get funding for these he things. He got funding, he totally did. That's so, so cool. big party at the end. Um, and it was so cool, because that was my boyfriend. <laughs> Back, then. Back in the day, right? And then he decided he didn't want to practice law anymore. And he went off and he did a, he became a computer um, engineer. And now he's a computer architect. And he needed to do that because for him, it felt like he couldn't spend time with his family. Because you to, like have a really balanced life, you know, when your day ends. So when our, both our day ends, we can have dinner together. And, he, you know, we went on vacations, traveled all over the world with the kids. This is how I categorize it. My children are first, my family's first. And, right. and then right behind that is my work, which is, you know, my, of course, my faith, my faith and my family. My work is right behind that because I care very, very deeply for my clients and um, their needs. And, um, and then after that, it's everything else. But though, that's how I prioritize, family first. That's and my job supported that which is great, which is why I love working for legal aid. 
you know. Awesome. And how did I arrive at Legal Aid? How did I get to this job? When I was in law school, all my jobs were for nonprofits or for state agencies. I worked for a human rights commission. I worked for I worked for an immigration law firm, um, and I worked for a state overseeing agency. And other than the state agency, my jobs didn't pay well. They are not, not at all. They were unfunded. Um, one job in particular, I it was. It's it's kind of funny. All I got was a tea pass. A tea pass? Oh my goodness. A tea, a tea pass, and I got a, a from the school. An absolute. Oh my goodness. That's all they could give me. But I did the work because it's the work that drove me. It's yeah. those people, the needs of the community that drove me. It so, was, yeah, it sounds like it was something fulfilling for you and it, you weren't about the money. And that's very admirable. Now, my final question, what advice do you have for girls out there who want to be a lawyer, especially Caribbean girls, Indo-Caribbean girls, people, women of color? What advice do you have? Do it. Be real about it. Know what uh, law is like. Um, I think for young people, they actually um, volunteer at an agency. They have to, to understand the law, you know, a legal agency. People say they want to go into the law and they want to go into law for the wrong reason make sure you know why you want to go into the law if you want to make money if you want to um, change the world you know, why do you want to do this the the what we see on the television about lawyers and you know, enjoying themselves and partying and stuff you know, right. if you actually work for a law firm you're billing and you're working really really hard long hours um, legal aid, we work very, very hard, long hours. I'm here late at night. When I get off this Zoom call, I am going to be preparing for a hearing. Wow, that's a lot of energy. Oh my goodness. But, yeah, so that's we, a lot we of work. And because our, our clients need us. Right. Uh, so, and the one thing I would say, and, and people would ask me, what courses should I take in undergrad? I say, write. I, the, the people who take the the English classes or the English majors or the writing courses Absolutely, I agree. very, very well in law. Because we, what, what do we do? What's our language? Words. And we write, we, we apply law to facts. We analyze. That's what we do all day long. And I've got to tell you, be true to yourself. When I did this massive class action lawsuit, um, which was the, last, the largest class action lawsuit that our agency um, took on since like the 70s, and it was about... $315 million it would um, cost wow. to put it to implement and to make the changes to, so that they could be in compliance with the ADA. Um, I'll tell you, it's actually many, many more million. This case came out of my work. It came out of my individual cases, helping one client at a time in the community, primarily black and brown people in my community. Well, you're using your knowledge, knowledge and your power and what have you for uh, I, people of color who or your community that's what it, you're doing exactly and i'm saying right. i can help i can help my community and i, I had done a series of train of um seminars like 12 seminars on saturdays every time i would go to the community my clients who were people with disabilities using uh, wheel mobility devices, uh, you know, and walkers and canes and in addition to wheelchairs and, and scooters, uh, would talk about the problems they were having accessing the MBTA's buses and trains, like elevators would work. Elevators would be filthy uh, with people urinating and defecating in, in right. 
uh, elevators would not work. Uh, the gap between the platform and the train was so wide, people couldn't board. For somebody who is blind, the bus stops not making the announcements. My work transformed the MBTA, you know? Beautiful. Way. But it came out of the community. It wasn't Tara Doucette reading some journal or some books or treaties and finding this. It came out of my work, my individual cases, teaching, helping my community. And suddenly I stop. What you do is you stop and you listen to your community. What is it they're telling me? It's what is the thing that keeps them up at night? The thing that keeps them up at night wasn't the SSI law I was trying to teach them or the rules and the uh, about um, housing. Right. That, what was keeping them up at night? What was keeping them up, up at night was they couldn't board the bus and they couldn't get to their medical appointments, couldn't get to work, couldn't take care of their kids, uh, take them to school, whatever. Yeah. And they brought this case saying, please help us, please help us. So then it was up to me to get the courage to bring it up to legal services and say, please, can you help? Can we do something? And I had to prove that it was the case had merit and that we could succeed. So I had to do research and prove that, and I did. And then, oh, wow, excellent. So it was a lot of work. I make it sound also, oh my God, look, it's fun. But it, was no, it was a lot of work to change the whole culture of the MBTA and, and to seek justice for those with disabilities. And, you, you know, thank you for that work. It's just amazing. Um, you did say that, Trisha. You actually, Dr. Trisha, you said the right words. It actually, it's in our part of our, our MBTA, the, the settlement agreement is part of the opening preamble. We set about to change the culture of the MBTA, and I think we would. That's what we did over the years. We filed in um, 2002, and we settled in a 2006. And um, it's been in the enforcement. The case has been in the enforcement stage through all these years. I just want to thank you for all your work. That was no easy task. What you did with the MBTA. Um, you are an inspiration to me, and I'm sure with many women of color out there. Um, and what a time to be alive. I know with COVID and everything, but to see women like you um, really spearheading and making changes, it's just beautiful. It's just really awesome. Thank um, you. Tell, tell us about your children's disability project, um, because you're the founder of it and the director. So can you tell us about this? The Children's Disability Project uh, was uh, founded by myself and my partner. You never know what someone brings when they're sitting right next to you or um, when they're working with you. You never know what, what value they can add to some project or something that you're working on. Then, you know, kindness goes a long way, right? Yes. After the MBTA case settled on our side for the MBTA case. I just need to tell you this. It would be a whole bunch of suits and I would be the only woman. So it's hard. Anyhow, so after the case settled, um, somebody gave me funding to, to do what I wanted with this children's disability project because it was, it was an idea that Jane and I, yeah. uh, Jane Smith and I, she was, um, she was, after she was a teacher and after she finished uh, teaching for many, many years and she retired, she went to law school. She went to the same law school I did. And then she came as my intern. And uh, wow. think about it, somebody who retired. So she's up there in the years. Wow. And, and she came as my intern and I mentored her and guided her and, you know, worked with her. And excellent. She loved the kids' cases. So together, when we got this funding, we formed the Children's Disability Project. So that's how it. Oh, awesome. The Children's Disability Project, we represent children 
in their appeals with the Social Security Administration, uh, the appeals for disability as, as for SSI disability benefits before the Social Security Administration, and we represent them at all levels of appeals. And I see the most vulnerable kids in the planet and how I love the clients I serve and I do serve them in, uh, um, above and beyond, even during COVID, where it's so hard. I have a home office and I've ha I have hearings and I do appeals counsel and I do federal court work. And all of it's happening right here in this little spot. Wow. So the work goes on. Children's Disability Project is absolutely fantastic. There, and recently, I think you were all part of the, my, the big um, opportunity for us with the Social Security Advisory Board, where we were able to talk about the dedicated account. So I'm I think, I think people would like to know how to get in touch with you if they want to get involved with the, with the, the Children's Disability Project. How can they contact you if they want to get yeah. involved or maybe even donate? My email is tducet, D-O-U-C-E-T-T-E, at gbls.org. I urge everyone to please go to the GBLS website, Greater Boston Legal Services. I think it's www.gbls.com. Yeah. And just go to that site and scroll down and find the Children's Disability Project. It takes a little bit of navigating, but once you get to CDP, yeah see a blog you click on that blog and you'll see boom the whole story about cdp and you'll see um our interns and fellows and their stories yeah that's so i i want to look it up too so you have such a heavy you have so many avenues and so many things you're doing how do you unwind at night do you listen to music do you dance do you meditate what what are some do you eat oh my yeah. goodness do you, do? you know your auntie loves to dance <laughs> Well, no, I cook. We married a rocker, so, you know. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we love music. Yeah. Yonka Bob and I love music, so we always have, like, our bean, you know, the bean speaker, and I have it hooked to my phone, to my Spotify, and to whatever, or, or Pandora. So we have music at every corner of the house. We even have our media room, which is jacked up with, like, you know, things that we need. And recently, we bought um, an exercise bike because we realized we need to exercise 30 minutes a day and we've been doing that. Um, I also follow a lot of um, Trini cooking. I love um, Reshmi's side, your cousin. Uh, you know, yep. Reshmi. Reshmi was on, yep. Yes, is it, what is uh, Taste of Trini. Taste of Trini. Yep. I love her with the little flower. Um, <laughs> So uh, follow a few other people, and I'm constantly cooking. Two days ago, I made cinnamon buns, beautiful cinnamon buns on the cinnamon bun celebration day, lots of frosting on it. And I'm like, Lord, we can't eat all of this. So I had to package some and freeze it. I make meatloaf. Oh, God, I make lasagna, and, and I, I make food as much as I can. I take to Auntie Seti's house, I take to Auntie Bade's house. Um, I give people a lot of food because I cook a lot. I, you know, I yeah. cook a ton of food um, all the time. That's my hobby. That's how I de-stress. And, and right. I would say, aren't you going to sit down? And also we binge watch. We binge watch. Um, we just finished watching um, Banco de Papel. We, we find a nice series we want to watch and we binge watch. Nice. So nice. that's what I've been doing a yeah. little more because I can't, I haven't had a haircut in a long time. Okay. Did go out before everything changed, and then I so I felt I couldn't go out. 
Um, I haven't had a, a facials. I haven't had manicures. I've been doing my own nails, just filing them down, Mammy and Betty. Um, I do like to look good for myself. Yeah. Because I, I like feeling good. And you know, we sail a lot. We like to sail and can't wait for summer. We'll, I shouldn't say sail, we cruise. Oh, great, yeah. We cruise and we fish. Um, so I like to do that. Um, I think in life, if all you do is work, you're going to be miserable. Right. And I think if, um, as I have a very good relationship with my husband, he's my best friend, and, I'll, and I think that's important for relationships. And a lot of people don't spend too much time um, thinking about relationships. I, I do. I get actually excited and happy when Uncle Bob shows up because it's like, oh, what are we going to do? And he... Because I work on the first floor and he works on the third floor in his, um, he has an office that was built for him. If I knew we had COVID, I would have an office built for me too, right? Yeah, but I occupy, since the kids are not home, I occupy the whole first floor. Right. I like to be, I'm near the kitchen um, so I can get snacks. Uh, you know, if, this was a regular Zoom, if this was a regular Zoom call, you know, I'd be putting the camera on and I'd be rushing over and getting a snack and I'd have right. to with me and I'll be listening but I would get some snacks right and I'd that good self-care snacks is great self-care snacks is a big self-care do you know my Christmas tree and all my Christmas decorations are still up in the front room <gasps> wow you know what I, I don't think you're the only one I have a feeling that you're not the only one think about that and I uh, I went Doesn't on you happy to have it up the Christmas tree it makes me very happy and I actually put it on from time to time and I notice in my neighborhood everybody has you know I have their Christmas lights on yeah and, and I, I some of my friends said now they're going to put the shamrocks on their Christmas tree they put the hearts for Valentine's Day and now they're putting for Daddy's Day they're putting the shamrocks on oh my god it, yeah, it makes them happy That's because so COVID made us so sad think of COVID. yeah our relationships right everything's changed i mean you have to do things that make you happy and you kept your tree up and you're doing something for each holiday that's beautiful that's yeah so we so we keep our tree with our trees up um, <laughs> for happiness some good wine is good too good wine is always good and since the uncle bob is probably the only one i get to see face to face most times to have a conversation with i better like him and get along <laughs> yes how many years have you been married now? How many years have you guys been? 32, 32 years, right? And you have three boys, my cousin. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And what happened is that um, I wanted to tell you this. We also, uh, another tip for uh, people, friends, and other skin do is have Zoom dinners. We have lovely Zoom dinners with our friends. Yes. Uh, yes I posted on Facebook. Did you see that? Um, our I friend. I can take a look. Yeah, our friend posted, she, she brought a whole, it was New Year's and we, we weren't going anywhere. They weren't going anywhere. So she brought a whole box. And in that box, there was like um, hats for the first to wear and necklaces and glasses and all kinds of fun treats. Yeah. And everything to make all the beverages for the night and recipes. So we would, she, they were on Zoom. We we're on making our beverages and toasting and having fun. That's so nice. That's we, picked, cool. we picked our meal. We said, are we having steak? Are we having chicken? Are we having veggies? Oh, that's great. Planned dinners. And we planned our dessert together too. And so we had it as if, because we'd go out with this particular couple. Uh, they're our besties for dinners and stuff. And, and COVID took that away because my husband's high risk. They're high risk. We just needed to kind of, yeah. You know, even though we're isolating, you just need to be super careful. 
You can play solitaire for hours. You can play card <laughs> games for hours. You can play card games. Game, solitaire, for sure, yes. Yes, no, and card games, uh, we do that. Um, you could, uh, during COVID, I find, I find cooking for people who are ill, as you know, our relatives, um, Auntie Seti and Uncle Vinny had COVID. Um, they recovered. Um, God, yeah. It was very, very tough on them. And, they tried great for them. Yeah, yeah it's just really tough in um, being able to cook meals and mm -hmm. package it up and take it to them. That was a nice, first of all, I made it was something I could do instead of just worrying. So that was very, very um, yeah. pleasing and, and, and it just made me feel good to do. So that was yeah, I think when people prepare things for other people and do things for other people, it's also, it's giving to others, but it's self-serving because it makes you feel good. Yes. You know? so what have you been doing? I need to ask you a few <laughs> So what have you okay, been doing? I have a guilty pleasure lately, yes. everyone. It's called Clubhouse. It's an app. And you basically, you join different rooms and it's all audio where people are actually connecting by speaking, not just texting. And you're mm -hmm. really connecting with people from all over the world, really. And they have different groups about marketing and how to market your brand. And they have dating tips and everything under the sun you can imagine. Yeah. And I, I absolutely love it. I love it. Um, I spend time with my dog. Um, I have um, elliptical that I go on. I like to go outside for, even though it's cold and it's snowing, I like to go for walks and I try to pay attention to my five senses when I'm out just to be present and be at one with nature. It just feels really, really good. I picked up some side projects. I, I practice DJing on the side. <laughs> oh, nice. I have a little kitty turntable thing that I use with speakers and everything so I've been doing that no it's good to do creative things things that are outside of your comfort zone and outside of your career just to get your brain going and to make you feel exactly. happy you know? mindfulness all this mindfulness stuff yes mindfulness is big I meditate a lot um, I downloaded this app called calm I saw that app it's so good it's is so it good, good. Every, I kid you not. Don't give them, are you giving them some free advertising right now? I, you know, hey, if they want to sponsor me, that would be great. <laughs> oh my God, look at my, look at my brain, how it works. Like, oh my God. I did this little thing. I bought a burger cup. <laughs> I drink coffee and water. And you know what? It's a little things. It costs like only five bucks or something on Amazon. But and it's fun. It just make me happy. It's funny. <laughs> and that's, and you know what? Your Uncle Bob was looking at me the other day in the kitchen. I put this music on. Oh, Lodge. Roxy, you must play this song. Okay. More than this. Roxy, what? Thing. More than this. More than this? Okay. More Roxy. than this. Yes. Okay. Um, I think that's what, it's, what it says. Nothing more than this. Because, you know, I never listen to the lyrics so much. This particular song, I really, really love it. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I'm dancing because I'm feeling this music because it's basically saying there's nothing better than this right now, more than this. I mean, I'm totally, that's how I interpreted the song. Yeah. I interpret any song the way I choose to interpret it. Just yeah. the art. No, it's it's fine. Like, right? And he's watching me dancing around the kitchen. I was making those cinnamon buns. <laughs> Girl, 
And I got so much joy. I had so much joy in doing that. You know? Yeah, yeah. Like for like old school reggaeton music. I don't know if you know about reggaeton, but there's this DJ that went on TikTok recently, and he's been playing old school songs, R and B reggaeton, and I've been dancing to that, and it just makes me feel good. You know. So it just. I but I gotta tell you something that made me sad. I know you said we should talk about upbeat stuff, but something made me very, very sad. Okay, and I um, and I kept calling your auntie Seti and your uncle Vinny, and I'm saying, did you guys get an appointment? Did you guys get an appointment? They recently opened it up for people over 65 and who have two comorbidities. So your uncle is not 65, but he does have meet the criteria for the next phase um, of this vaccine and i wanted him to get it so desperately right. and I, on the site on the site from the massachusetts government yeah gov covid site to book the appointment and you have to be like a computer whiz to do this it's a race um i spent yes. I'll, I'll get up at five o'clock in the morning and i'll kept going for hours and hours and hours and next day i'll do it late at night and then lunch break i'll do it again trying to get an appointment but because oh, it made me so frustrated and I, and, um, and I literally, like I was in tears. I mean, Uncle Bob, he was so great. He said, chill out, let it be. Thursday, they're gonna open another bunch of rounds for um, appointments. And then you can um, actually try to book your appointment at that point. And he wasn't like worried about it. He just got relaxed because in his mind, he said, was how he said it to me and it made such sense. He said, if you, if you can't do anything about it, you know that's the problem and you can't really fix it, what are you worrying about it? Why do you keep going? And you know it's going to say no. You know it's going to say no. And you keep going over and over. Just relax. The next wave is going to come on Thursday. And that's when we'll try. Okay. Yeah. We, we, he put, we put a couple of um, place markers. Like, you know, I uh, actually called and I left our name and number with the um, 211 site. Um, so I feel like we could wait. But that was very, a very frustrating thing. Right. For me, like I felt in law, you, you, it's rules-based, right? You know the rules and, 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 and that's how my brain works. And then suddenly I am faced with something that should work and it's not working. So I got- My sister is like you. Rules-based, huh? following yeah. the rules, rules-based. My sister, Rhea, she's like you. And it just frustrated me. And I just keep thinking, I can win this. I can get this. I watched the news last night and two young millennials i think they look like millennials mm -hmm. I wrong. one had two laptops and they're showing you how you have to refresh and get disappointed i'm like what i'm an old woman you're gonna ask me to, to refresh. my friends have texted my friends are awesome they they're getting appointments and they're texting me when they're getting the appointments and telling me how to do it and by the time i get on the appointment for my mom the appointments are booked exactly so that's kind of what happened that that's a sad story about COVID-19 it is it's sad it so is. tell me I'm gonna ask you a question did you cook any curries do you know how to make a roti and cook I curry? do but you know what my mom kicks me out of the kitchen she doesn't want I me mean, like it's too many cooks in the kitchen so I know I haven't done it in a long time but I do know how to make um curry chicken and stewed chicken um, I know how to knead flour, but I can't make a roti in a perfect circle. Yeah, I can't make a roti. <laughs> Actually, I do. I can make it now, but I can't make a perfect circle roti. I learned how to do 
make a roti during COVID? I did buy my mom a tawa over a Christmas break. A good tawa that she wanted, a big one. I found one on Amazon. I couldn't believe but she was really thankful for that. She, no, she, did, she didn't have one? She had one, but she wanted a newer one. She wanted oh, a, bigger, a bigger one. Bigger one, yeah. She probably like had, and had and stuff like that, you know? She probably had that one forever because I had one my father gave me a long time ago. And you just kind of keep it, you know? Yeah. Did I tell you um, when, when, I, when I was getting married to your Uncle Bob, um, your grandfather came from Trinidad to get us engaged. He did the whole thing. It was so special. Um, he put a ring on, on, on Bob's finger and all of that. It was so nice and gave him a necklace, a chain that he wore during our wedding. Yeah. You know, and that just, I was thinking about that because I talked about the tower. Yeah. But anyhow, um, I want to ask you to tell me about the five senses that you were talking about. So what I do, I talk about, when I talk to my clients, I ask them if the weather's okay and if you're okay with this, because um, I like the cold sometimes, I go yeah. out for a walk and I try to pay attention to my five senses. Now, if you have COVID, I want to be sensitive to this because some of you have lost your sense of taste and smell. So I do want to be sensitive to that. But if you still have those senses, when I go out for a walk, I pay attention to how the wind feels against my face for touch, pay attention to what I smell in the air. So we're up in the mountains, so I'm smelling mountain air. Um, and then I pay attention to what I'm hearing, whether it's birds or it could be a car driving by. I pay attention to the taste, what I'm tasting in the air. Um, so I'm just basically, and how the wind feels against my face. So I'm basically paying attention to my five senses as I'm walking. And um, when the weather is really nice, I actually put it on my core behavioral therapist Instagram page. I, I put a picture of a tree. You know, when you really pay attention to your five senses and you're walking like that, you mm -hmm. really pay attention to how beautiful nature is, how, how the beauty of trees and how each leaf is intricately made. It's just unique. I mean, I just, if anything, during COVID, COVID has awoken me or awakened me to really pay attention to God's goodness and his... And I, I mean, I, I have so many pictures of the sunsets. Sunsets are beautiful. I, mean, I am so impressed with you. I am so impressed with you in, in doing that. It, and I think that's the thing I am trying and hoping and praying I would learn to do, to be more present, to be more. Exactly it. Even when I eat food, you know, I joined a particular thing a while back. I'm no longer a member of it. But when you eat food, I didn't realize like, I would gobble my food down because I have to do the next thing, right? Yeah, right. I, I just explained my life to you. Right. But how important is it to savor and chew and to... Have you done that with an orange or a tangerine? Pudigala, can you say it? Have you, really? have you, have you the five senses and mindfully eat? So when I was at the Berkeley, Berkeley Cognitive... Um. Berkeley Cognitive Behavioral Therapy Clinic in, in Berkeley, California, where I went to school. That was one of the things my director taught us to do. Mindfully eat a tangerine and you smell it and you pay attention to the texture. And you could try to, you know, listen to what it sounds like if you, you know, peel it up, you know, and taste it. But when you taste it, you feel the flavors burst in your mouth, on your tongue, slowly. And it's just, you're, 
aware, you're present, you're mindful, and you're not gobbling down this delicious tangerine. Now, everyone's going to want to go get a tangerine after this if you're not allergic. I do. I'm going to. I'm going to get a tangerine and right. do it now. Yes. And, and just that's a practice that you can that you can do to be mindful and to be present. It helps with um, uh, lessening symptoms of anxiety, alleviating symptoms of anxiety. Um, and it just makes you feel good because it's a delicious fruit. I need to ask you this other question. Thank you so much for explaining that. It just I can picture what you're saying. Um, what inspired you on on this journey to for this not your whole career, right? This particular blog in yeah. this session and targeting your audience, your Indo-Caribbean, as you say, Caribbean women. Mm-hmm. They're trying to bring their experiences out because I've been watching and I, I absolutely enjoy oh, thanks, it. Yes, I enjoy your whole family does. Everybody enjoys it. Thank you. So you, you, you saw how I posted your graduation. <laughs> you blew up my spot. Thank you so much. If my dad was alive, he would have done the same thing. So thank you. Mm-hmm. I you and, we have, <laughs> and we haven't talked about that. You know, that's really painful every holiday. Yeah. We talk about that because we have our pain. I think people who are watching this, yes, you're my niece, and they but they don't understand. And you know, here we are, we're lawyers, we're like professionals, but it's good that they get to see that where we came from, right, Trish? Yeah. Like, absolutely. you know, I'm cutting meat at the deli, two jobs, got to law school, and here I am, right? Right. Here you are. Um, but this, but this journey for you to do this, what inspired you to do this? Because it's so great. The actual core behavioral therapist. Um, yes, and have, I'm talking about little women, uh, particularly from your community and bringing us. Well, thanks for asking me, Auntie. I wasn't expecting this, really. I really was. Um, but I think you need to answer this question. I think your audience oh, yeah. needs to interview you so we can make the, this happen both ways. Where we talk. Oh, that's sweet. That's sweet. So, um, so go for it. COVID. The simple answer is COVID. Um, I'm a sociable person, but people laugh when I tell them, actually, I'm an introvert because when I, I have, I I am an extrovert as well, but I feel very exhausted sometimes in groups or being around groups of people and talking. And I realize I thrive better one-on-one and that's how I connect with people. Um, And I connected with a lot of people who have a lot of things to say. So when COVID started, I, I felt I need to do something because mental health was such an issue, especially in our community. If you think about it, people are not having lavish graduations. People have to cancel weddings. That's, you know, people are going through COVID. It, it was a culmination of things and depression was on the, on the rise. So I was like, you know what? I want to start this podcast and I have friends and people that I know who are, who have different, from different spheres of life. Like I have a maritime worker, I have a businessman, I have a pilot, I have a couple of musicians, um, friends and stuff. And I was like, what do you do to unwind? What do you do for mental health during COVID? To so anything I can, anything that can, and I, and I have people, I really enjoy, and I really enjoy diversity. So I try to have people from all different backgrounds, all different genres of life to come and to talk about their experiences with mental health and it'll help people um so i wanted to help people during covid and it snowballed then one thing after the next and then people start to contact me i have this song to promote can i have this organization to promote can can i come on and then black lives matter happened 
And then it snowballed after that. So I did a series on Black Lives Matter. And I did the same thing um, to give voice to our Black brothers and sisters and to the injustices. So this sort of, it's, it started to take life of its own. And now mm -hmm. I'm getting... Um, for example, I have someone coming that I'm very excited about. I had to get special permission. I won't get say who it is, but it's um, a judge. And Yay. I think, yeah, I think the Caribbean community is going to be so proud of this next person that I'm going to have on. I have a doctor who's my friend that I met at church who's in Singapore. He's a chiropractor. We're organizing something in May because he wants to talk about, uh, he wants us to do a culmination of mental health and how and how his practices so we're gonna do that together so it's like so pe people are being aware of what the issues are that are coming that are being addressed on this podcast that they want to be a part of it and it's it's actually growing their businesses their private practices i mean it's 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 really really nice and it's a nice break from people being isolated and experiencing covid it's a nice break i want people to laugh i want people to have fun um so, and my sister also inspired me to, to do this. I think she told me, you know, you have a personality for this. Um, you should definitely talk about, you know, invite people and, and you have a voice, say, say something. And so people have told me this and I just never, I never, I never paid attention to it. I just pushed it aside. And then all of a sudden I just felt like a light bulb went off and I was like, okay, let me do this. So. I think you're it's very impressive because I was absolutely impressed when we started this off and I loved your podcast because I was able to hear Miss Shakira <laughs> and it was fun. And then you started off and it wasn't about the law. And yes, you asked me about my journey and some of those questions, but it's really about how you're doing, how you're feeling, how'd you get there, you know? And I thought that was, I, I never really asked those questions. I don't know if you remember, but I used to have a lisp when I used to talk. I used to say my S's like this. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. How'd you overcome that? This is an interesting story. So when we moved from Queens to New Jersey in a very um, affluent white suburban area, the teachers noticed. So this is what privilege is, right? In different schools, you have different types of uh, resources. So they had a speech pathologist and she worked with me every week and we practiced and I would practice at home and I finally got over it. I fixed my S's and I say it like, like this, right? So um, there you go, privilege. It's, and that's, that's what's happening right now. Like during COVID-19, and I know this in my work, the poor neighborhoods and, and the West, which, um, the resources are limited and, and there's such a, a real drain um, because there's not enough funds to go around. Yes. They're struggling about opening schools and, you know, there was a, a period where uh, students didn't have laptops yet they were on Zoom and yep. the communities, they were, some of them were back in school and they had Right. And it's always that the inequities, right? Yeah, and that's what it, that's so low, what it is. Low income versus wealth. And right. Or your family and, and you know god bless my brother you guys went into a very uh, wealthy neighborhood or i should say um maybe upper middle class neighborhood um in in new jersey and i remember visiting you you all and i remember your father would get calls at night with people saying um the n-word get out of here right by that do you remember those calls well, yeah, and, and me and my people sister. People didn't want you in that community. They didn't want us. And when, when we, uh, me and my sister, 
when we, I was called those names too at school actually. And I was only one of two Indian girls in the entire grade. So when me and Rhea, we would walk home from school from the school bus stop, the boys next door, um, they would spit on us when we were walking home. Think about that for a moment. Right. They would, they would Think about that. And you didn't, and I remembered, and yeah. brother had this, because you know, I call your dad brother, um, beautiful house, a beautiful barbecue pit in the backyard, beautiful pool, well-kept grounds. You guys had a grand piano in the front room. Everything. Perfect, beautiful, gorgeous home, right? Mm -hmm. Perfect to fit in, right? And no, so and it's interesting because it, it was because I, I remember that because I was in college in those yeah. days. No, and, and it's interesting you say that because it was a private association. And oh, I have a great story. But so my sister went to one of their meetings as an adult, okay? And she's looking beautiful and she's accomplished as well. And she goes to this meeting and she said, you know, and it's a bunch, you know, it's predominantly white. She said, these resources, it would have been fun for me and my sister growing up. But we're adults now. We, we've moved on. So it would have been nice if we were welcomed. And, you know, we don't use these resources now. And they just stay quiet. They were quiet because she told yes. them. Yes. Um, and let them, let, you know what, this, it's, it's okay. Um, yeah. Please acknowledge. Yes. Remember those bad days that this people would think we're insane that we're talking about this, that we actually experience those no, things. We experience this is education, everything, and it's so horrible. Right, right. And, so, and you still remember it as an adult. Oh, yeah. It, it's, uh, it was anxiety inducing, and, and, but you know what? Those kind of things, um, it really lit, lit something in me. Um, be, I was bullied as well as a youngster, you know, being in a predominantly white neighborhood and white school. So I was definitely bullied. Daddy knew about it. Um, yeah. But what, I have an interesting story though. Recently, I decided to do something special and to get graduation pictures taken because I didn't get to celebrate my doctorate degree, right? So funny story, the photographer, this is a funny story. The, the place where I went, right? The, the studio, that's mm -hmm. the same studio in the town I grew up in that I would, me and daddy and mommy and Rhea would pass a million times back and forth. It was the same studio. I go in there, it's full circle, full circle. This is how God works, full circle. And the woman was like, I live in so-and-so. And I said, oh, I grew up there. And we realized we were neighbors. I was neighbors with her husband for years, for years. So I thought, I, I told her, she, I said, you know, I was bullied and, and people would call our house and call us the N word and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And I remember that. So yeah, I told her and she, I think she, I don't want to speak for her, but we're friends now. And she treated me like gold. She ironed my gown. She said, look at you. You're a doctor. You're showing them now. Look at you. And she did a whole blog on me. She did a whole oh, blog on me. Wow. Yeah. wow. So, um, I think that's what it means to have your voice. I think yeah. every person of color yeah. in a position to speak out yeah. needs to speak out. Um, and I'm part of a whole racial justice group in yeah. work where yeah. we talk about these issues about how can we make a, a, I'm in a small subgroup called workplace. You know, how do we recruit and retain attorneys yeah. of color, our staff of color? Yeah. What do you kind of outreach you do, um, you know, what kind of opportunities do you provide people? Let me tell you, uh, that privileged stuff, it seeps into every aspect. Yeah. Uh, everywhere. Yeah. And it's awful. 
And you know, people think it's the blatant racism, the N-word and stuff. It's the microaggressions and the macroaggressions. It's the little things, the little assumptions here and there too. All the institutional biases to yes. that yeah. supports and uplifts that, you know? Yeah. I love it when, uh, I don't tell people too much what I do, but when they find out, it's a whole different story. It's, I get treated completely different or, you know, in different cases, but. Um, you know what I also have a, a hard time dealing with in our Caribbean community? Mm -hmm. um, the kind of uh, biases that, that some people hold on to, you know? Um, I think, um, for example, I'm very shocked every time I on I'm on Facebook or whatever, and I see a post by somebody who, someone, anyone, it could be anyone who came from the Caribbean as an immigrant, got their um, immigration uh, status and green card and, and um, U.S. citizenship. And then when you see um, undocumented immigrants struggling or dreamers struggling here um, and wanting to get some of those right. same opportunities, um, they react in a negative way, anti-immigration, yeah. you know, anti-immigration that yeah. would uplift and help people. And that's shocking to me. It's, and, and I'm saying, it, and I realize, but in history, that's how it is, right? The, the race or the group that gets here first and made their way, then they press down the other groups. And I feel so badly about that. I, I do too. I, I see it. Everyone has their own story. But I also, I believe in humanity. I believe that there's good in the world. And, and it's up to us to really do something about it. For example, um, the, the girls and stuff that are being killed in Trinidad and, and held for ransom and stuff, I want people to see that those girls could be accomplished people. They could, they could, they could do anything they want. Women are not objects, you know what I'm saying? And we're not property, you know? So I, I think, I know I stared off a little bit from the- No, 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 that's, no, I'm, I'm because that too, the, the funny thing is stuff that happens in Trinidad, yeah. um, you know, whether it's uh, domestic violence or- right. Uh, or hate crimes or crimes against women. Um, we, we feel that in here, yeah. here too. We all follow the funeral, all of that stuff. Yeah, we, I did too. The, and um, the thing is, parents need to do a better job in Trinidad and Guyana and in the Caribbean community of raising their sons. That's what, that's what it boils down to. And, and because it's a cycle, it's a generational cycle, because people witness their dads treating women like this. Their, their grandparents, their granddads, their great-granddads, and their uncles. And it's a cycle. It's a cycle of abuse, and it needs to stop now. It has to stop. Actually, did a poll. Did you think um, that she should have dressed appropriately? Like, she was oh asking God. for it, like, to be yeah, raped. Blame the victim. Yeah. Blame the victim. Right. Blame the woman who got raped or killed her. I don't know if she was raped, but she definitely was killed. My God. Right. And the, actually even had to ask that question was even more alarming. And you're thinking there's some part of you that is saying it's okay and that's not it that's not one, it one thing that came out of all of that was the fact that uh people it propelled people to protest and to they I'm do, so grateful they, for that. now they need to transform the you know make changes in the laws the whole system needs to take a look at what's been going on and right, all right. is that people are being harmed and um the government needs to take notice and politicians need to take notice and, and just help the communities um, yeah. make it better for people. Yeah. yeah.
and I'm really happy that they protested it. I'm happy that the country came together and protested it. I was just like, not another girl dead and nothing's going to be done. So now action needs to take place. Can you tell me a little bit about the, that your religious journey? Because you was I traveled a bit and I really loved that. I used to um, follow you and in what you were doing and all of that. Oh, yeah. Tell me about that, because there are a lot of people, uh, and, and Caribbean people are very spiritual, you know, that is, yeah, yeah. like, deep meaning, I remember, know, how, yeah. remember how I started off that, I said, in my line is my family and faith, and then my job behind that. Yeah. And I think so we're going to be it. real, and I'll let you know what happened. Um, I went through a breakup, and my friends at work in Jersey City, New Jersey, got tired of seeing me really sad and depressed. I mean, I was going to work in sweatpants and stuff, and I, here I was. <laughs> you were experiencing COVID when COVID wasn't there. Not exactly. COVID. I feel like, no, Trisha, you gotta do something. And I was doing my, I was getting my master's degree at mm -hmm. that time. And I really thought that this was gonna be someone I could marry and stuff like that. So one of my friends, she's a redhead Puerto Rican girl, shout out to Diana. She's back in Puerto Rico now. She invited me to church. So when she invited me to church, I was like, what are these people doing? Because I'm used to Catholic church or, you know, I went to Catholic school. So I, ne I never experienced like people praying and worshiping and, and with their hands up. And it was very odd yeah. to me. And then like when the pastor was speaking, I felt like he was speaking to me. He was speaking about things that I've been through. I'm like, oh my gosh, this, this guy read my mail. Like, how does he know all the stuff I've been through? <laughs> and then um, I was praying and then I just felt like, warm and all of a sudden i don't even remember how i went up to the altar they did an altar call if you want to accept jesus christ as your savior and and i was hindu at the time that's you know that's a whole nother ball of wax right there and i just felt something that i've never felt before i felt clean i felt light and when I left the church, after my friends came around me, the same group of girls, and they were like, welcome to his kingdom. And then I was just on my journey after that. I was, I, that was it. I, I knew that I experienced something that was so spiritual that mm -hmm. I can't even put words to it. Um, and ever since then, like, I've just been getting so many blessings and healing, lots of healings and stuff. <laughs> Did you study the Bible? Because I, I yeah, I read the Bible each year from front to back. I went to Bible school um, a couple of years ago. I went to Bible college or yeah, seminary for a bit. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, I I definitely did. I am so proud of you. That, <laughs> that no, that is such a good thing. Yeah. Now, Bob, um, he actually he's studied Latin, so he had a, a, a Bible that you know in in English and Latin and. Um, and he studied because he went to Boston College. So, you yeah, know, the priests. Yeah, I have different types of Bibles. And I just, because we're studiers, right? We like to study. So I studied the Bible. I take, I took notes. I would highlight, you know, when you're just hungry or you have this passion, I was just hungry to know God. I was, so like for me, the Bible is like a book of instructions of life. Like if I was younger and I knew some of these scriptures and I heard some of these stories, like you want to talk about soap operas or drama, it's all in the Bible. <laughs> it's all in the Bible. And it was just so interesting. It's interesting to me. And it's just like, even when I talk about it now, I feel alive, you know, because it's like, wow, it's like, you want to share what you've learned. Like, you guys don't know this goal that I have. But it's so interesting through this, right? How you, you went and you found yourself 
and you weren't on somebody's timeline, you were on your own. Like some people would say, you have to go to school, college, and then you have to do what you have to do, and you have to be on this like treadmill. And you didn't, you did it your way. You took your time. I did it my way, but I, I, I had to tell people that I'm not on your timeline. You know, I'm, I'm running my own race. I tell people this all the time. Right. Run your own race. You will finish. It's not a race, it's a marathon. Yeah, yes. It doesn't matter. Don't look to the left or the right. Don't compare yourself to others because comparison is a thief. Stay in your lane. Yeah. Stay in your lane. And, um, but be a good person and, and help. And, 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 you know, like we say, kindness is free. Spread that thing around everywhere. Yeah. Know? And I'm not perfect. No, by no way, you know, I'm not perfect. I'm definitely not perfect. I, we're all a work in progress, but I have definitely changed a lot. And I really believe it's God. I really believe it's God that did some amazing things in me. I mean, I traveled the world. I traveled the world and 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 in orphanages and I mean, yeah, you were in, were you in India at some? I was in India at an orphanage. Those kids had nothing. They were in an orphanage and they had bigger smiles on their faces than than we do here in the United States. You know, they were so happy. They it's were so sad happy. to see poverty. I saw poverty there and I saw poverty in the Philippines. The Philippines woke me up. That's when I realized how privileged I was and what am I doing with my life? I want to do more. That's yeah. where I, my heart really broke. Like my client, Tamar, is hearing. Um, yeah. When I think about this family's struggle to pay rent and um, so many issues, and I, of course I can't discuss the case, but um, that's why I'll stay up at night and get that case in my brain. I mean, I did everything. The brief is filed, the records, the exhibits are filed, everything's exhibited. We're ready to go. The medical experts lined up, you know, and I'm all set to do my cross-examination and all of that. But when I think of this client and the need, that's, yeah. that's the driving force for me. Cause I say to myself, look at me, my big house, lots to eat, snacks galore. I'm always trying to lose weight. And you have, I have worked with families where food's a problem, yeah. you know, Food insecurity is a problem. You know, housing is a problem. Medical care is a problem. Getting right services from school is a problem. So I'm so inspired by you um, and that story about your journey and how it woke you up and what are you going to do with your life? But that you ask yourself that question. That more people need to stop um, thinking about the, what they can't do and do what you did. Yeah. And ask, what am I going to do with myself and do something yeah. worthwhile? And it all started because someone it also it all started because someone my friends saw that I had a need that I they saw me hurting and and we need to as humanity we need to see when people are hurting and it all started because of that and because I got an invite to go to church I mean you never know who's suffering with what you know so exactly. reaching exactly. out like the olive branch like reaching out yeah. your hand to help yeah. Exactly. And, and that's self-care. I remember when the whole George Floyd thing happened. I remember like um, the assistant GM for system-wide accessibility at the MBTA reached out to me in an email and said, hey, Tara, I just saw what happened. Are you okay? Because knowing that that would affect me. Yeah. That, that his murder was going to affect me because um, of how the police officers treated this uh, black man, mm. white people white man killing a black man just right there like his life meant nothing and i and then there were other couple of my white friends who sent that that olive branch i would say who said how are you sometimes that's all it is is how are you how are you doing or even just being there just just being there and listening or just being there and not saying anything it's a good thing 
because people want to be heard or just need someone just to just be there. And, and asking a simple, how are you? How are you is so powerful. There's two, there's, the, a powerful word is no. That's powerful. And another powerful um, phrase, a phrase is how are you? No, no. How are you? Really? You ask a second time. Oh, I'm fine. No, no. How are you? How are you doing? Mm -hmm. Look them in the eye and, you know, be compassionate. And um, yeah, and you don't know what, what people are going through unless you ask and then they say something. Whenever you meet, break bread with your group. You know, say something positive. Talk and find out about how everybody's doing and then you get down to business. I love it. We used to have a quote of the day. We'd, we'd pull out beautiful phrases from wherever, from famous writers, from um, activists, and somebody would read the quote of the day. I have like hundreds of quotes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> nice. You know. Thank you so much, Auntie Tara. Um, and I will definitely share your information if anyone wants to get in touch with you. Thank you for taking time of your busy day, your busy career, taking time away from what, your family. Um, and I so appreciate you. And I speak on behalf, I like to speak on behalf of the community and my family that we are very proud of you for being a Caribbean, Indo-Caribbean woman um, who, may, who is a, 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 a boss ass attorney like it's just you're awesome so I, I really looked up to you growing up i i really looked up to you and all my aunties growing up and i, I thank you you're amazing thank you and you're amazing and i'm in, i enjoyed i didn't realize how starved i was also for company and i <laughs> chatting so much with you and i'm in, incredibly proud of you dr trish thank you i appreciate you Bye, everyone. This is Dr. Tricia Rampersad, the core behavioral therapist, and have a great day.